0: Hello and welcome to the VBAC Home birth Stories podcast. My name is Ashley Winning and I'm the founder of the Motherhood Circle and the creator of the Journey into Motherhood program. Are you wanting to learn more about vaginal birth after cesarean section and find your confidence to birth the way you feel is the best and safest for you and your baby? Spending too much time worrying about the what ifs and questioning if your body is capable of vaginal birth? Well, that's about to change. This podcast is for women wanting to learn about VBACs, especially home births, and for professionals who want to learn more about how to support VBAC women home birthing. Nothing is off the table. I invite you to connect with yourself, find your own voice and strength to create this pregnancy, birth and motherhood experience you desire. You totally deserve this. If we haven't met before, let me tell you a little bit about me. I'm a mother of two. I'm a doula, a motherhood guide, and have had two unplanned and unneeded cesarean sections. And I'm planning my first home and vaginal birth. So it'll be a home birth after two cesareans. I'm here to support you along your journey to discover and create your positive pregnancy, birth and motherhood story. So feel free to reach out at any time if you want support. Now let's get started. Hey, it's me again. I wanted to let you know that I'll soon be opening my doors again to my online program Journey Into Motherhood for pregnant and newborn mothers who want to feel calm, confident and connected in your journey into motherhood. You'll have access to me as your doula to support you in your journey along with other like-minded mothers. And I will support you to be your own advocate, help you birth on your terms and create the postpartum of your dreams. But spaces are limited so I can keep the circle safe and support you in the way you deserve and need. So contact me today to find out more. Hello and welcome back to part three of my birth story. This is Ashley, your host. I Thank you very much if you've been listening to part one, part two, and now part three. If you haven't listened to the first two, I recommend that you do. I have been reflecting over the last couple of weeks since recording part two, And even part one, it has been a bit of an emotional journey for me, I will admit. And now I'm post 10 weeks postpartum. I'm going through the motions of, you know, I suppose processing my birth. And this is an evolution. And I know this from my last birth. I know that it was an evolution that it was a, you know, I was on this journey that took weeks and months and even years for me to process and See my birth differently, or really feel into it, and really see some of the aspects of what had happened, and allow myself to feel everything that I need to feel. Um, you know, sometimes we have these people, well, might you know, well-intentioned um, people who, you know, want us to feel good about our birth, or we read something on the internet and we think, oh, I should just be happy that I got to have this vaginal birth or happy that I got to have this healthy baby or whatever it is. And so sometimes we suppress or uh, bury our feelings. Um, Sometimes we're so excited about the positive aspects of our birth that, you know, we're, we're focusing on that. And if I'm completely honest, um, I would say that the hospital experience of this story was quite traumatic for me. It was quite traumatic in the fact that it wasn't what I wanted it was quite tiring exhausting it was very hard to be away from my baby my baby was in special care so that was a hard thing to kind of um navigate because I've never had a baby in special care before um my husband was stressed because of the separation from you know me and the baby but also because she was in special care and we're trying to process what has happened you know in this situation so plus being in the institution also caused a lot of feeling you know you're surrounded by people with different mindsets so while they may not be having conversations with you you can see that you're definitely a fish out of water in that sort of system so Um, I will, I'll step you, step, I'll step it, step it with whatever, (laughs) excuse me. (laughs) I'll step you through what had happened in my journey. I'm getting a bit tongue tied. Um, I'll step you through what happened in my journey, but you know, every week and every day and every minute I'm kind of processing it a little bit different. So how I explain it now might be a little bit different to any years time when I've gone through and done some healing and that sort of thing. Um, I'm also seeing it a little bit more differently um and feeling differently about it especially to how i was feeling in the moment when it was happening so i will explain to you how i was feeling and then i'll kind of process a little bit of how i'm feeling now about it um to show you the differences in case you know you're currently going through this or you know you have your birth and you can you know you have an outcome and this you know is helpful for you i think is important now I think I left off with the story that, you know, the ambulance had come to my home to see the baby and then, you know, another ambulance was called to then attend to me because my placenta hadn't come. My doula recommended that I was given a shot of Pintosin or Sintosin, whatever we call it here in Australia. I will be honest. I don't really know the the names of um, medicines here because I try to stay away from them. Um, And, I just went, I will be completely honest, in that t- in that moment, it isn't what I wanted to happen and I feel like I had a bit of shame or a little bit of, um, I suppose, a little bit of shame around allowing that part of my birth to be taken over, the choices to be taken over. I wanted to be the one making informed, powerful choices and in that moment um you know, I allowed my doula to kind of take over and I allowed the medical professionals to kind of take over things um, because I simply didn't have enough information in the moment. And I had gone into this birth hiring my doula to be knowledgeable and take over in that situation if this was to happen. So, you know, some of the processing has been around that me giving over my power kind of thing but I have to let that go I feel in this at this 10 week interval I feel that's okay you can't be in power 100% of the time You, you know people possibly could but it's the choice that I made at that time it's a choice that I made when I was pregnant um and I would make the same choices again if I could go back and kind of do it, because I don't know what the outcomes would have been if I hadn't made those choices. I think the biggest thing for me with um, having a free birth is I wanted to take the power. I wanted to make all the decisions myself and I wanted to take the responsibility on. And I did make the choices in that moment. I made the choices to trust somebody else. Um, What I've been dealing with and struggling with is that possibly those choices in those moments in relying on somebody else's judgment and relying on somebody else's expertise could have possibly landed me in the hospital and it could have possibly led my baby into special care. Those steps basically could have landed us in this situation that could have been avoided. But what I have come to terms with over the last 10 weeks is that was a choice that I had made in that moment and during my pregnancy to kind of hand over my power and it's something I suppose that I've been battling with a little bit because I wanted to feel powerful and I wanted to make informed choices and I wanted to do the right thing for me and my baby and you know when things go a little bit eerie or weary or whatever and you've and you're in this situation you know there's a lot of self-blame that comes into play sometimes and so you know, when I'm in the hospital, I'm, I'm blaming myself, you know, is my baby in the special care unit because of me? Did I do something reckless? Was, did I put myself and my baby in a dangerous situa- situation? And so I was dealing with a lot of these emotions and these feelings at that point in time, because I was in the hospital and people were looking at me like I was in, you know, an amazement. Some people were telling me that it was really dangerous. Um, so I was in this situation where you know I was the abnormal one um, which was making me feel like a bit of a weirdo Um, so that's one of the biggest things I've been dealing with I think a lot of trauma probably you know when I had my trauma with my last baby that's what the trauma was it was you know some of the choices that were made and some of the power that was taken away from me I certainly don't blame any single person I don't even blame myself because there's no there's no blame to be placed in this situation this is an experience that us as humans go through and it's a learning experience and so My first baby, I went with the flow and I ended up in a cesarean. My second baby, I learned a bit more and I ended up in another cesarean. And my third baby, I was adamant that I was going to home birth. I researched as much as I could. I prepared myself as much as I possibly could. And I hired a doula because I wouldn't have birthed on my own. Um, at home without a dollar, I didn't feel confident and comfortable enough. I wanted somebody with more experience than me who had had their own free birth and somebody I could rely on to look to for information if something, if I needed that information. And I feel really comfortable and happy with that um, decision because it led me to now feeling very comfortable and confident in possibly in the future, having a free birth with just my husband present, which is the ultimate goal in me stepping into my full potential power and me completely making choices and and having that birth that is completely with us um, and me not looking seeking outside of myself and that's something that I want to experience or I've wanted to experience I suppose through this this journey that I wasn't quite ready to kind of take so not everyone's going to want that kind of experience. We all need to dig inside of ourselves and see what kind of experience we want. And sometimes the experience is having someone that we can turn to and there's nothing wrong with that. That's why women hire midwives. Um, But for me, because I've gone down the free birthing path, it was a huge undertaking for me to try to work out what I was comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with and that sort of thing. And then, you know, I'm the kind of person that wants to work out why this happened. I'm very curious about the whys all the time. I want to know how, like, why people tick, why people make decisions, why things work. I've always been like that. It's why I'm really interested in studying psychology because I want to learn how, you know, much more about people and why they tick. It's a huge curiosity of mine. Um, So, you know, I spend a lot of time, you know asking the question why 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 and I've you know I've done some research I've asked questions I've been looking at things I've been thinking about things in my head and playing it out and you know there's been times where you know I've held things inside because I didn't want to have to face some of the experience that experiences that I went through um And, you know, that's perfectly okay. That's natural. And I suppose many women, you know, go on many years without ever working through and and dealing with, you know, the experience they've gone through. It's why some women don't want to talk about it or, you know, will just move forward to the next stage of their life kind of thing. Um, But yes, we'll go back to the birth. I I just want to kind of talk about you know some of those things while I'm going through it in the process so you can kind of understand a little bit more into my thinking and and what I was dealing with I think it's really important that I share these things because women and humans don't openly express their deepest, darkest secrets or, you know, what's happening inside themselves. And I think that if we can, if I can be more honest and open about how I feel, some of the questions that were going through my mind, some of the things I've been dealing with, other people can sit back and say, oh, I've been feeling the same. I'm not a weirdo or there's nothing wrong with me. It's okay to feel this way. You know, if you had an amazing, wonderful birth, but you still feel traumatized by it or you still feel like something was missing, that's perfectly okay. That's a human experience that you're on. It's the journey that we're on. And um to be able to sit back and reflect and learn something from that is the most important thing that we can do. So um with my with my hospital, I'm not gonna get all the details right because it was a little while ago now and the details aren't a hundred percent that important it's how I was feeling and, and what I remember in, in this moment I suppose so eventually just to fast forward it through I had about I think they ended up getting three or four ambulances in total um, and it took about two and a half hours before I was eventually transferred either two or two and a half hours before I was transferred to hospital and um, they had given my baby the all clear, my baby was fine, but my husband wanted to come to hospital with me and and they had to bring the baby. We didn't have the car seat installed. So my doula drove my husband to hospital and one of the ambulances safely took my baby in with them in in a you know a crib or something like that that was safe. And they met us at the hospital. Now, during that time, obviously, I'm losing more blood. They're giving me things to try to stabilise me. There's a whole huge um, emphasis on stabilising me before they can get me to hospital. Personally, I thought that, you know, when you call an ambulance, you know, they're, they're going to race you to the hospital and, you know, you're going to get what needs to be done. But I think there was a bit of a mix up with the with the ambulances because the baby doctor, the yeah, the baby ambulance was called first. Um, it took a while to then get somebody who was, um, you know, the right ambulance to me and that ambulance didn't have blood. So by the time that ambulance had got there, half an hour had passed, then another ambulance needed to come. And by the time the ambulance with the blood and the right crew, because some of them didn't feel that experienced, it felt like there was a more experienced crew coming. Um, By the time the more experienced crew got there, It had been quite a while. The placenta hadn't come. I'd had the medication, um, the Pitocin or the Cintocin. Now, when I've been told that once they give the Cintocin or Pintocin, I should have figured out what it was. I'll just call it Cintocin. Um, When they give the Cintocin, they're supposed to get that placenta out in a matter of minutes, apparently, because it clamps down the uterus and somebody needs to massage and start pulling on their placenta to try to get that out. Now with the ambulance there, that didn't happen. So whether that, um, contributed to, um, my placenta being, you know, staying in there or and the bleeding or anything like that, I have no idea. There's so many different variables as to what I've been trying to figure out as to why the placenta was still stuck in there. The doctors at the hospital couldn't tell me and, um, we don't know so it's just one of those things that I kind of just have to say it could have been the interruption of the birth the scariness um you know the urgency it could have been you know all the ambulances it could have been the medic medication who knows it could have been a combination of things it could have always happened no matter what it's really a hard thing to kind of um to kind of swallow I suppose but that's, that's what happened in my last birth. I didn't know if I was able to give birth vaginally, if I was going to have a uterus rupture, um, if I was going to tear. That's part of life's mysteries. You never know what's truly going to happen. But one thing is for sure, there is always intuition there. And so I have to go by my intuition. I always do. And I did with my giving birth to this baby at home. I knew that my body was capable of birthing this baby. I believed in myself. And I think the biggest thing in life we can do is trust our intuition. Um, You know, sometimes it fails us, but majority of the time it works really well. So that's what I'll continue to do. Um, We were in hospital and I remember, you know, there was a group of, you know, professionals, health practitioners waiting for me. They obviously knew about me coming for a while because the ambulance obviously had been letting them know. And, you know, I was being questioned by the, the consultant doctor who was gonna perform the surgery. I had a beautiful student midwife who I was having a conversation with. And I remember the conversations really clearly. Um, You know, she was a week off being a registered midwife and she had the most beautiful eyes and smile. And they were really going above and beyond to make me feel really comfortable. And I really appreciated that because I knew as soon as I got to the hospital, the situation would be handled. That's what the hospitals do. You know, obviously I had a little bit of concern that, you know, I wasn't really too concerned in that moment. I knew as soon as I got to the hospital that they would handle the situation, everything would be fine. And I was talking to an anesthesiologist who was talking to me about epidurals or a spinal block. And I was talking to him about my previous history. And I asked him, can you just knock me out because I didn't want to be um, awake again for another surgery with my last baby I was awake for like four or five hours during that surgery and it was really traumatic for me so I really was exhausted they had kept me awake in the ambulance um you know I'd been through 13 hours of labor by this time it's like 10 o'clock at night um you know I had my baby a few hours ago um I'm exhausted I had her at like 10 to 6 i'm exhausted um of course i've lost a lot of blood that's making me even more exhausted they've pumped me through i don't know what else have they they've given to me the doctor said that they had um they were giving me blood at the same time which you know i would expect them to kind of do if if they can't get a blood pressure they can't stabilize me and i'm losing too much blood you know that's what that's what the ambulance was waiting on which was really good and um and so I gave them all the information. They went through the risks with me of their surgery. So they, there was another doctor that was there who was working with the consultant and she went through the risks and I could feel that she wasn't, you know, um, super supportive. And I'd seen her a couple of times afterwards. So just the way she'd spoken to me was a little bit more brazen and I knew that she had, you know, the shits with me. Um, but, you know, she was polite you know, as much as you can be when intuitively knowing someone's got the shit to you. Um, and she went through all the risks and, you know, one was, um, one of them was death and another was losing your uterus and, uh, you know, needing a transfusion and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I signed the form, the consent form. I was awake through um, all of that. And then they, um they wanted to try to see if they could remove their placenta before but they didn't kind of really tell me what they were doing but they kind of did and I remember the doctor putting a hand up my vagina and it was the most painful thing I mean I've just given birth to a baby and that was nothing compared to this um it was like she was ramming her hand right up there like I don't know it felt like a shovel was going in and digging me out and I screamed it was the most painful thing I experienced and I screamed and there was a whole room of people around me and she's doing this and and I've got no pain medication by the way and I was like holy shit like this is painful and then she did it again and I was like screamed again and I was like oh my god she did it again I said no stop I don't consent to this I said just put me under do surgery I don't want to do this no more and she said okay I'm coming out and then she stopped straight away but you know to think that she did it three times with me screaming is you know a little concerning um and the fact that without medication my goodness so painful um so then they prepped me for surgery and, and sent me in um my sister used to work at the hospital and so i was telling the, the man that was working i said oh my sister used to do your job and he said who's that and i just like to tell people so that if they knew my sister or they know that my sister's a nurse that you know does their job it makes them maybe feel like be a bit more invested in me and feel like you know i'm one of them kind of thing so he knew my sister and he was like oh that's cool so i felt more safe and comfortable with with that situation as well knowing um that he knew her and i went in for surgery and they were talking to me about putting a tube down my throat and said you know they had to give me a little less uh medication so i might remember them feeding the tube down my throat But fortunately, I didn't. So I don't know really what happened at that point in time. But I obviously either passed out or they put me to sleep or whatever they did. They they did have a mask over my face the whole time, which I couldn't breathe out of when I was, you know, in that surgery. So the next minute I remember waking up in ICU unit and I was just so happy that I didn't have to experience any of that, that I didn't remember anything, that I was safe, that I was healthy, healthy um and they told me my husband was coming in shortly and that my baby had gone to special care unit and I was like okay fine whatever you know I'm sure you know things are happening the way they need to happen trying to process everything And my husband came in I was just really happy to be reunited with him and he was only allowed in for a brief bit because in ICU I don't know if you're allowed visitors or at that time of night or if you're even allowed visitors i was in icu because my blood pressure was too low or something like that in surgery so um he had explained that the doctors had seen the baby was breathing a little bit difficult you know she'd come in with me i suppose and they knew i was going to surgery i don't know if they if she needed to be in special care but he consented Um, i would have done the same thing if i was in hospital and you know they said something was wrong um it's kind of it's our default to kind of say yeah sure you know sure you must know better than what we do to be fair we had no experience with um labored breathing from a baby um and i mean i mean i thought her breathing was quite normal um looking back at my memories and her being in my chest and that sort of thing I wasn't concerned at any point in time until it was pointed out to me and even then I wasn't really overly concerned Um, it was more the concern of others that were triggering my concern um, which is one of the reasons why I can't help but go back to that moment and and you know at points feel like I made the wrong choice to allow the ambulance to come or you know but we don't know what we don't know at that time until we take those paths and those things happen. And just recently, actually, I, um, I was reading, cause I'm in, you know, a lot of um, birthing groups, another woman, she had had a home birth uh, free birth as well. And she had called the ambulance from some extended bleeding and then she was fine. And they checked her baby and her baby had low blood sugar level levels, which I don't know why they checked the baby's blood sugar levels. But then the baby was admitted and then she felt like her baby was hostage and she felt like she'd made the wrong choice and we don't know what we don't know and we can't know everything. And so hearing that story reminded me that we're always second-guessing what we've done but we can't blame ourselves for those choices because I'm going to repeat it again. We don't know what we don't know and I want to repeat that again because I know so many women... uh, make themselves suffer from some of the choices or some of the things that happen in their birth or afterwards. And it's really important not to blame ourselves for doing the best that we can, that we can in that moment or in that, in that period. Um, What we can do is make different choices next time with the, with the information that we have. So, you know, it's not about being perfect and having the perfect birth or having the perfect experience, but what it is, is making the best choices with what you know at the time and so baby was in special care which is fine she's been looked after which means I have 12 hours of healing to do or sleeping or whatever it is I didn't actually sleep I just was so excited and happy to be alive and I didn't have any sleep so I probably just had whatever it was while I was being knocked out and I was talking to the lady you know the nurse and you know my husband and left by then and I was talking to the lady who was looking after me and she was doing my obs every however often it was and she was lovely and I was just I don't know I was just kind of on cloud nine and I felt really amazing that I had just birthed vaginally I suppose that I'd had a free birth I was also really aware that I was a bit of a you know I'm going to be seen as like a crazy lady I'm going to say that I don't think that people who make the choices that I made are crazy but that's how I feel that um people in the hospital system would look at me as like this crazy eccentric um it is it is something that is completely out there and I know that from my experience and so I was in special care for 12 hours and then I call it graduating I graduated to the next process which was then going into a birthing suite and um being monitored with a midwife for however many hours it was. While I was in special care unit, I did get access to a lactation consultant who then took some colostrum from my baby in special care, which was really great. Um, And then um, what else happened? They had to take out some cloths or some um, bandages or something that they'd actually put into my vagina. And I was a bit traumatized from, um, you know, the obstetrician putting her hands up my vagina that I didn't want to open my legs up and I was really freaking out and fretting about it I didn't want them to take it out and it wasn't from having a baby come out of my vagina it was actually from you know her sticking her hands up and trying to pull the placenta out and that still sticks with me I don't want anyone to touch me up there um from just that experience so um that's interesting to know you know I can birth a baby out of my vagina, but just that one experience has lasted with me for a long time. Um, so they got it out. If anyone ever needs stay, if they call it a pack or something and they put it up there, it wasn't painful at all. Um, I was so relieved once it was out that I was just like, okay, that wasn't painful, thank goodness. There was a problem with um, I was weighing too much apparently. They were trying to work out what was going on and so they put a bigger – can catheter in I'm trying to get the wording right it was a catheter so they put a bit of bigger catheter in because apparently it wasn't coming out quick enough um so that was another traumatic thing where the midwife was trying to put it in and I was closing my legs and she was getting really frustrated I said oh can you do it and she said you've got to open your legs and I said okay and so as soon as I relaxed and opened my legs she was able to do it and all was well but you know I wasn't wanting or allowing them to kind of go in that area because of that experience Um, and I was getting prodded and poked with so many needles and so many things and and all the tests that they had to do during those periods of time as well it was just coming in and fast and the doctors were coming to see me every you know whatever their rounds were and talking to me about different things so many things were happening um i was told to sleep there was a huge priority in icu for me to sleep and rest and people were really good about the way they spoke to me they were really taking into consideration my past trauma and the way that i was um how i'd felt about not being listened to and not being supported and that was my main reason for birthing outside of the system. So they really wanted to repair that damage and show me that, you know, they could be trusted, especially since I'm a mum with children. They want me to be able to bring my children in. Um, so I was really, really um, impressed, I suppose, with, you know, one of my biggest fears was that they would want to call CPS or be really hostile towards me if I ever had to go in there but they were really respectful. And, um, I felt that that was really mature, really professional. And it showed that they had actually changed as a hospital because I went there during my pregnancy with my second baby and it was a completely changed hospital. Um, and you know, some of the midwives are just amazing. Like it really, if, if you get that amazing care where they're listening, they're gentle, they're not giving their opinions. Um, it really makes the difference in the kind of care that you're getting. And I could see that through the changeover of midwives and people who were coming to see me. It meant that I felt safe to be able to ask for the things that I needed, which might've been, can you please, you know, whatever it was that I needed at the time. I'm just trying to think of an example, but there were times where I couldn't get up and down from the bed really easily because I'd lost so much blood. I didn't have, I was anemic, and i wasn't able to move around i was dizzy i was faint i couldn't breathe properly um and so i just had this wonderful birth and then i was like incapacitated to a very high extent of that i couldn't just walk around and feel this amazing birth high that i was hoping to experience by having a vaginal birth because i didn't have my cesarean so i felt like a whole person i didn't have that cut or that um You know, that surgery through me and I felt like a whole person. It felt amazing. I felt whole. I could sit up if I wanted to, but I couldn't walk around because I'd start sweating and I would start, I couldn't breathe properly. And it was just a really horrible feeling. I could barely just make it to the toilet. I could barely get changed. The way that I was breathing and everything was just such a difficult exchange. And I knew what it was because i'd experienced it before and so i told them that my fear i didn't want to be kicked out of hospital again too soon without i i assumed i needed to get another blood transfusion because that's what fixed it last time they were adamant that i'd had more than enough blood based on what they thought i'd lost and so if i needed anything it would be an iron transfusion which would take apparently i think it was up to four weeks or something like that for it to kick in properly whereas a blood transfusion would have uh, worked immediately and they were also adamant that they had to make sure rule everything out so before testing to see if i was anemic they wanted to rule all these things that i could have been a high risk for for like uh, blood clot i could have had this i could have had that so i had to undergo and i say i had to but i felt like i should give them a little bit back since they were looking after me so well and being so respectful I felt as a compromise that I should you know do the testing that they wanted from me so I said yes to the testing I said to them like I think it's a bit a bit much I don't think that there's anything wrong with me I said I've been through this experience before I know how it feels I'm definitely just anemic but and the, the other thing is like they're making you get all these tests in the middle of the night when you should be sleeping and, you know, you've got hardly any sleep anyways and then you're being wheeled around by this poor, you know, warden who's having to push you from one end of the hospital to the other end of the hospital because you can't even walk for yourself and then you're getting all these tests done which take a, a bit of time. And um, at the same time, my daughter was in special care unit and she had been put on CPAP for the first... She ended up on that for 12 hours and we had consented to formula because I was under and I was in the ICU and I couldn't feed her. Um, but when, I can, when we consented to formula, my husband consented because obviously I was MIA, out of action, um, we consented to giving her formula thinking she would just have it in a bottle. But when the babies are on CPAP, they're getting something, air pushed down their throats. And so they can't, be fed by bottle so they kind of get a feeding tube or um in our instance because they didn't expect her to need CPAP for very long um they gave her glucose and that's what they do for babies who they don't expect to be on CPAP for very long apparently it keeps them alive um, and so there was a bit of a saga around the whole CPAP thing and and there's a bit of a intervention kind of Informed consent line that I feel that definitely, in my experience, uh, special care do not ask for informed consent. They do not step parents through the process of what happens to babies if you consent to certain uh, interventions. They don't discuss you, you know, when they offer to take the baby and they say, you know, your baby might need a little bit of help. They don't talk to you about, you know, whether you should take this option. And so, I discovered through talking to a pediatrician, I'll, I'll, I'll run you through it now. Um, basically my baby was put into special care unit because she was struggling to breathe a little bit. It was labored breathing, they called it. Um, And so they decided that, you know, she wouldn't need help for very long. So they put her on glucose. Now to get the baby off glucose, the quickest way to do that is to give them formula um, in their medical opinion, or the way that they've written up their policies and guidelines. And I can, I, um, at one point when my, when I was back on board and I was in the um, maternity side and I was feeling okay, and I was feeling a lot better, I. special care person person team member came to see me about my baby and i told her i don't consent to formula anymore i said i want to feed her colostrum and i'll feed her and they said to me um because at that point in time the lactation consultant was coming along and getting some colostrum and bringing it to the baby and so i just figured they could bring the baby to me and i could feed her and um all would be good because she was off the cpap at that time so She was on CPAP while I was in special care so she'd been off it for about four hours and by the time I was kind of having this conversation and so so I was um, in a different facility at that time I was in the maternity care so you're kind of out of like needing that full-on support and the lady who I just told that to she kind of had a bit of a meltdown she was she had that one of the personalities that kind of frets and freaks at at a moment's notice and she said to me well you can't take her a formula if you take her a formula then if she doesn't get off the glucose in three days in 72 hours she has to have um food through intravenous methods and I was like whoa hold up something ain't right I was a bit like taken back by the way she had reacted to what I said to her and she didn't have the ability to communicate to me Um, the steps or the process or what was happening with the whole CPAP thing I don't think that they were trained or they regularly talk to parents and inform them of the what's happening to their baby they just kind of tell the parents this is what's happening and so I was like hang on this is my baby I'm the one who calls the shots and so they were kind of a bit like surprised by that But I wasn't surprised because I'd been calling the shots through my birth, my pregnancy and everything. So the minute I was feeling confident again and I was awake and I was ready, of course, the first thing I wanted to do was start advocating and deciding things for my baby. And I was also a little bit shocked and I felt like my baby was kind of being held captive from me. Um, Of course, I was in a bit of a panic because my baby had been removed from me. She was away from me. Um, It didn't feel right and I didn't feel like she needed to be there I felt like she needed to be with me and um, so I said can you please get a pediatrician and I need to speak to somebody and so this pediatrician came in and she must have been a new pediatrician or she may still be you know learning or maybe she's only you know in the first five or ten years of her career and she was a bit panicked she had a big eyes that was staring at me I suppose she'd never had this conversation with parents before and she also wasn't very open I suppose to understanding from the parents point of view I suppose I'm not sure um anyways I asked her to explain you know the process and so the process is I've explained it to you when they go on CPAP, if they go on glucose, what they need to do is then wean them off the glucose because the risk of being on glucose is that they could have a sugar high. So my baby was already a GD baby. I, I knew I had GD through my pregnancy that I was monitoring at home. So I said to her, well, women with gestational diabetes, their babies are at risk of having a sugar issue. So you can't prevent that. So, why don't we just do what you know you do with gd babies and just test them every few hours and if there's an issue then we deal with it then and she looked at me and she said no we can't do that we can't put them at any risk and i was like we well, do it with gd babies like there's nothing you can do about it i say why can't we just she comes with me and i feed her colostrum and you guys check her every few hours and if there's an issue we can deal with it then and then she was totally Unwilling, she said to me to take any risk of her having a sugar low because of this glucose. And I said, well, can you explain to me, have you put my baby at high risk by giving her glucose? Because it sounds like it's very dangerous for this to happen. Whereas through my experience of having gestational diabetes twice, it hasn't been a big deal that if a baby has a sugar low, that we'll kind of deal with it when that time kind of happens. And she was like, no, I don't think we put your baby at further risk. And I was kind of trying to ascertain what what on earth was this big freak out about, um, why couldn't we just deal with it if it happened? Because my babies have never had sugar issues. So I'm not sure why we should be assuming that she's definitely going to have a sugar issue. Excuse me. And I said to her, well, what is the difference between formula and colostrum? Like, sugar for sugar you know how much colostrum she needs to kind of have in order to you know ensure that her levels are going to be okay as per you're giving her formula and this formula is supposed to be you know combating that and she wasn't able to tell me And I, I was kind of a little bit confused and also surprised because I'd had so much support from the lactation consultant since being there and then I'd had this pediatrician who was not supportive of obviously me being with my baby and me having time with my baby and me being able to give my baby the best milk available to her. I didn't want my baby to have formula, but I will always consent if my baby needs it. Um but it was a very confusing situation. I just remember her eyes being like really wide and I did explain to her how my first baby, you know, the challenges I went through with her and her not being um me not getting the right support and then her ending up on the bottle and formula and how that upset me and made me feel like a failure and how I really didn't want her to become um, addicted to having formula and the gut health. And, and I was crying and then she was crying a little bit. And so I knew she was a human and had emotions and I didn't feel like she was a completely bad person. And I don't think she's a bad person, but at the same time, I was becoming aware that she obviously wasn't really used to involving parents, um, which is a really shitty position when they've got your baby kind of, and it feels like they're holding them hostage and you, and you can't even have a conversation with somebody to try to work it out. That's, and she kind of said to me, we're going around and around and around in circles. And so we worked out, I said, she couldn't tell me. And the thing with the special care is they can never tell you how long something's going to take. It's always like, oh, it could be like three days, and you don't know how long something's going to take. And so, if she was able to say to me, "Look, three bottle fills should be fine, and then we can go on our way," you know, that's easier for me to kind of understand. Maybe that was a question I could have asked, but it definitely wasn't um, provided to me at that time. Um, Going back, it's probably a question I could have asked, but. In my experience with some of the other pediatricians I spoke to, it's not really something they can kind of give you. They kind of take every minute and every day because they're dealing with sick babies in special care. So they can't really give a time frame, but we weren't exactly talking about a sick baby. And my my baby was actually quite healthy. So we're, you know, we're trying to talk to people who are dealing with very little premier sick babies. And we're dealing with a very healthy baby who needed maybe, maybe didn't need any help and maybe ended up there because her mum was a crazy free birther. I'm not really sure. Um, So we came to the conclusion anyways, and I wanted to explain this special care unit section a lot in detail a lot, because this is a new experience that I had that I wasn't aware of that happens because I've never had the privilege. And I say that with, you know, my little fingers going of, going through that experience and i can understand why there's a high pnd rate amongst parents when their children are in special care for a long period of time um i think it's like at 80 percent for you know whatever the percentages i saw on a documentary i was watching um and it's a very unnerving horrible experience for your baby to be in there um and my baby was only in there for a few days and it felt disgusting it felt horrible um I hated every minute of it. I felt like a bad mum. I felt like I'd failed her. I felt like, I mean, I'm in the maternity unit and I've got no baby. I'm sitting in there. And fortunately they gave me a spot where I was with pregnant women. So there wasn't anyone with a baby, but there was a woman that came in at one point who just had her baby. She'd had a vaginal uncomplicated birth and she was walking around and I felt really pathetic. I couldn't even get up. I didn't have a baby you know, she's fe- She was feeding her baby through the night. And at, at some point, I was thinking, oh, thank goodness my baby's not here. So I don't have to look after it. And then at the other, because she was having to get up all, you know, wake up all, you know, every hour to feed her baby kind of thing. And, and it was crying all the time. And then the other side of my heart's aching because my baby's not with me. And I, and I long for my baby. But then you're not even getting that time to bond with your child or have them learn to breastfeed with you. Um, you're not getting given that time. But me and the pediatrician came to an agreement that if I, I could, someone would bring my baby to me every three hours, I would offer her colostrum, then I would feed her formula and that would be the quickest way to get her off this glucose and safe back with me. And so I agreed to that and they did bring my baby to me every three hours. Um, it was that lady that I initially had spoken to and she obviously was not happy with me and so I felt like she was kind of like didn't want me to succeed at breastfeeding and you know baby was having troubles latching and we weren't given much time it was like you know she was on a she had to literally she was there with me for 10 minutes or something before she had to rush back and go look after another baby or at one point she was worried they were having a transfer of twins coming in and so she was stressed she probably didn't have the right personality type to be working in that environment Uh, but it happens and, you know, I got to experience that kind of personality. So to me it felt like more that it was her baby than it felt like it was my baby, like she was in a position of power and I don't think she did this intentionally but I think because she cares so much about her job and the babies and nobody's pulled her up on it. Um, But she definitely was overstepping and she needed to really be pulled up by a supervisor and be told that her role is to work with the parents and get that relationship going and encourage breastfeeding as much as possible. The maternity ward wouldn't take responsibility for my baby. So when a baby's in special care unit, they won't allow the baby to be with the mother in the maternity suite unless there's someone from special care with the baby as like a supervisor or guardian or whatever. It's really weird. So, I couldn't have my baby with me and I couldn't sit with her for periods of time. I couldn't go to the special care unit cause I couldn't get there myself and I wasn't well enough either to kind of get there. And the lady that was coming was kind of a bit narky, and she was like sick. And I kind of felt like she was like, well, oh, see, it's not working. The breast isn't working. So let's give her a bottle. And um, so, you know, I had to force feed this formula down, which made me feel sick And it also made me feel like, oh, my God, my milk, I'm going to have an issue with my breastfeeding and she's going to be a lazy feeder. And all of that come back from my first baby. And, you know, I never gave any formula to my second baby. So this felt like a bit of a failure, but something that I had to allow to happen to kind of get her to me, you know, playing a chess game or something you know what can I give you to get my baby back kind of thing and it's a horrible feeling to be in that situation um anyways I was panicking I was panicking about the whole breastfeeding thing and it's funny because things move so slowly but so quickly at the same time when you're in hospital so things feel so urgent and things when things happen it feels like it's an eternity that this is happening but really it's just 12 hours it's half a day but because you're awake the whole time it feels so long I was only getting one and a half hours sleep because I was then on a schedule from feeding my baby every three hours so I was getting up um, she you know after that point I started walking to the special care unit and I was feeding her every three so that's how quickly it was happening so I think in two after two bottle feeds or something like that what was happening was she said after this second or third bottle feed um she won't need the glucose anymore and i was thinking shit if why don't you guys just tell me she only needs two or three bottles and then she won't be on this silly glucose thing Should we be weaned off this glucose thing and then and then i can breastfeed her or whatever it was just um i don't know it was just a crazy situation to be in. now i look back at it all and um I advocated for my baby in the best way that I could. And I feel like I did a really good job and I'm really proud of myself for that because I was by myself. My husband wasn't there. I was vulnerable. I was weak. And, you know, I was in a situation where I felt like I was, you know, not the norm, but I'm really proud that I had the um courage and the strength to advocate for my baby. And it was, it, I had flexed that muscle enough that it was, my first go to to do, and I guess I've been doing this a lot in my life. But in the last few years, I've really been flexing that muscle. So uh, it came as a first nat- nature. Um, it was just something that I was doing, and I was going to speak my mind, and I was going to make sure it happened. And I was respectful. I wasn't rude. Um, I was inquisitive. I wanted to learn, and I wanted to see how we could make it work for all of us. And um, so by the time I was able to, I started walking there. And, and, you know, by the time I was doing these tests, I was literally feeding. I would feed her for a little bit. Then I would give her the formula because I was still having to give her top, top up formulas. They wanted me to do that. So I just, you know, went along with it. And, you know, she'd already had formulas. So what did it matter at this point in time? But I was happy that I was getting to give her breasts as well. And then I was going back. So I'd probably be there for an hour and a half or something. Then I was going back to my room. Then I would have OBS done. Then I'd have this done. Then I might be sent away from a test. So basically before the next feed, it might have been, I might've had half an hour to myself to then sleep. And so i saying, make sure you get sleep. And I'm like, how the hell am I going to get sleep when I've literally got to be up in half an hour to go feed my baby again? Sometimes they would even call Um, one of the midwives if she woke up a bit sooner so she might have had her feed like two hours before then they would call which was great because it meant that they were working with me and that they were listening to her and they were allowing that and it just depended on the different people that were working in the special care unit as to what was happening but then they brought me a nursing chair and I, I was getting more comfortable and then the next shift over that that was working actually brought me a drink and a little snack, and so it's interesting how the different people how they treat you or make you feel at home and and you know allow you to have that relationship with your baby. And some people are a bit more, you know, not so giving, I suppose, or not so helpful with that relationship being built up. Hey, it's me again. I wanted to let you know that I'll soon be opening my doors again to my online program, Journey into Motherhood. For pregnant and newborn mothers who want to feel calm, confident and connected in your journey into motherhood. You'll have access to me as your doula to support you in your journey along with other like-minded mothers. And I will support you to be your own advocate, help you birth on your terms and create the postpartum of your dreams. But spaces are limited so I can keep the circle safe and support you in the way you deserve and need. So contact me today to find out more. you know I knew my milk was coming in and I was expecting it to come on about day three so when you're working with colostrum they're kind of it was kind of a bit of a struggle because they really want to fill the baby up with milk um, but the reason why I'm saying that is I haven't told you the next part of the puzzle but basically one of the times that I was there there was a senior pediatrician who was doing his rounds and he was kind of calling the shots and he was really calm collected and checking all the babies out and he said that my baby had um jaundice and she was just under the line and they said they recommended that she be put under a uv light none of my babies had had jaundice before i don't know why she had jaundice apparently a huge percentage of babies have jaundice she was mild so she wasn't even on the line but she was just under it so the recommendation was to put her on a blue light but they could wrap her up she was going to be given to me so She was just about to be given to me and she was going to be with me on maternity. And then they said, hold up. We want to hold her a little bit longer, but she can go with you, but she's still under the special care unit. And they said to me, look, if we do this now, then at least then you can go home and and she doesn't have to be readmitted. And I thought, yeah, let's just get this done and get out of here. That's that was my, you know, my biggest thing. I just wanted to get it done and get out of here. But Um, they had these little blanket things that were plugged in. It was blue. She was like this little blue alien thing wrapped up. It was kind of cool, but at the same time it was really annoying. It was cool that they had the blanket and she could be with me, but it was hot and also, um, you know, it was really hard to kind of wrap her up and make sure she was getting the full coverage while I'm trying to feed her. It just made the whole experience a little bit more challenging. And the one thing that I was so excited about was that she was with me she was sleeping a lot because she was jaundiced. Jaundiced babies sleep a lot. So I was having to wake her up for feeds. And um, the, the main thing was that she was with me and my husband could come in during the day and, and visit us both. And um, when the baby's in special care, only one visitor at a time can go in. And it was really cool for her to be with us and the ba- the kids could come in and, and visit her as well. And um, we were really lucky because... whole covid thing they weren't really letting any any more than two visitors at a time i think it was and you know we have a family of five now so you know my husband had two children to come in and they let us sneak our other child in which was really cool um and i'm grateful for that um we didn't really want them to come up too many times because they were pretty loud and pretty crazy so that was another stress we didn't really have anyone to kind of look after them for us so Hubby had to kind of maintain at home, looking after the kids and getting them to school or wherever they were going, and he had our three-year-old full-time, who was about to turn four, full-time at home. So, and he was on holiday, so he was able to manage that as well. But um, I could see that he was really stressed, and I could see I'd never seen him stressed before like that, and I could see it on his face. But Dad's a really uh, my dad, my husband is a really calm, um, calm guy. He doesn't really stress about anything. So I was really worried when he was starting to stress. And um, they had tested baby for um, jaundice again and her levels were rising. They weren't very high, but now they were above the line. So it was the decision was made that they would, you know, they could keep her on the one blanket, but it wasn't working that well. I also was having to feed her formula because apparently formula is what um the liquid the formula is what flushes out the jaundice um so we're back with the formula still you know it's funny how things change so quickly they don't tell you these things when these things happen either by the way um so if i would declined any treatment for the jaundice she would have been removed from special care and i could have looked after her how i saw fit but again i didn't know any of what was going to happen or what the recommendations were so you know, we got stuck in that trap again, kind of thing. And so I'm still feeling guilty and I'm still feeling bad. I'm feeling like I can't parent the way that I want to parent. I can't make the choices that I want to make. Um, feeling a little bit trapped. But I'm just thinking if I can just get her out of special care, because there's also a timer. If she's in special care and I get booted out of maternity, um, I've then got to come to the hospital get myself to hospital. And in the state that I was in, feeling anemic and Barely being able to walk, and that, how was I going to be able to produce enough milk or pump enough or get enough colostrum or whatever it was at the time to get her every three hours and see her and look after my children and my husband? It was just getting really complicated and scary as well. And so there was a huge urgency to kind of get her out of the special care. So if I was booted out at any minute, I could. Um, you know, we could go home as a family and be and be happy and everything like that. And so um, I was just doing what, you know, I was told to do and I still felt sick about the whole thing. But one morning before, you know, the blood results came back, I had an opportunity to sit with a lactation consultant. I was feeling a lot better. And I say a lot better because every day, every hour, every, you know, I was feeling hugely different like it was such an evolution of how quickly things change when you're in poor health like that and so you know every little thing is an achievement and so you know after a day or after a few hours I was doing more and more and more and I felt differently and so there was a huge rapid change and I suppose that's probably why it's like that with a special care unit as well and so that with this awesome lactation consultant who you know we were talking about home births and of course she knew my whole story everyone in the maternity ward knew my story everyone in you know special care you know everyone had heard my story you know they're all china's chinese whispering or anyone who had been put on my case had been briefed about why i was there and what had happened and so i felt this huge judgment like is this person you know on my team are they against me what do they think what do they feel um you know, am I going to get judgment here? And I sat down with her and we were talking about home birth and she was really supportive of home birth and felt, you know, every woman had the right to access a birth center that women shouldn't birth in hospitals. And so we had a lot in common in that regard. And she was a midwife as well. Um, And she was waking baby up and allowing me space and time with my baby um, to feed her and she unwrapped her and woke her up and this is the first time I've seen her awake um, and for me to actually have some proper time with her um, outside of you know force feeding her this formula and stuff and my milk had started coming in guess what on day three well something I didn't actually tell you was that pediatrician the steroid pediatrician and I were um, kind of having a um, I guess a discussion a really kind of heated discussion about my milk and she kept saying to me you need to calm down your milk's not going to come in for seven days and I was like yeah it it will it's going to come in on day three it always comes in on day three and she's like yeah but you've lost a lot of blood and I was like yeah but I lost this much blood last time and she was like yeah but that was last time this is a new experience and I was like yeah but I know my body it's going to come in on day three and she was looking at me like I was a crazy person I was like what the hell like i just remember that's one of the biggest things is like the reason why they'd made the decision that they had made was because they didn't expect my milk to come in until day seven because apparently on average most women don't get their milk coming on till day seven when they've had a big blood loss or something but i'm not the average woman i'm the exception to the rule apparently and this is why i think statistics are great to a certain extent but don't let them define who you are it's not going to definitely happen to you and i'm a big believer in that just because you're low risk for something doesn't mean it won't happen to you just because you're high risk for something doesn't mean it's going to happen to you i'm unfortunately a person who's been put into a high risk category for a number of things um, especially during pregnancy because of my high bmi now because of IVAC, and now it will be because of postpartum hemorrhage but it doesn't mean that i it's going to happen to me so Um, And when you're dealing in a system that is trying to prevent these risks from happening, it's kind of like talking to a brick wall unless you've got a proven history, but then in their mind they've still been programmed to say, but that was last time, this is this time. So even if you've got a proven history that you can prove them wrong, they're still going to say, like, I don't know if you guys watch Little Britain, but Computer Says No. (laughs) I don't know. I love that movie, that show anyways they're always gonna say the computer says no they're still gonna revert back to their teachings and their trainings and they're gonna go but we're looking again because they have to this is their job you're going to the hospital system you're going in there because you're sick because you need help and you want them to look for things if i go in there with a heart attack i want them to make sure that it's definitely a heart attack and i want them to check everything possible to make sure that they're looking after me and they don't miss anything it's the same for any sort of thing that you're going in there you want them to do a full scope thing so on one end I'm very happy that they did all the checks for me and made sure I was okay at the other end intuitively I knew what was wrong with me Um, I knew I was anemic so with the baby um, you know my milk came in on day three and I was like you know doing a little happy dance it was coming in and my boobs were feeling fuller and baby was able to drink a lot more and then the same pediatrician came down and saw us and she said uh, when my husband was there and my kids were there and I just finished feeding baby and she said, look, based on these results, we're going to recommend that you put baby back in a special care with us. And she goes on two lights, so one at the top, one at the bottom. And this will mean that she's no longer going to be with you, but hopefully we can get this under control and she can come out quicker. It meant that I could still go and feed her. Um, and because my milk was coming in, Um, I was able to then negotiate less formula. Uh, I didn't have the opportunity to tell her to her face that my milk would come in, but I often, you know, when I have conversations with my friends, they're like, did you tell her? And I was like, no, I wish I'd been able to say, listen, bitch, my milk came in, woo. I just, I think that it's really important that, you know, people understand that to, to look at people as an individual, but at the same time, I understand where they're coming from. So, you know. They have to kind of look at statistics to try to tell them and making you know choices i understand and, and i suppose this experience has also made me more ex- understanding of the hospital system and, and what they go through and this is uh, another reason why i don't think women should be birthing in hospital why i feel intuitively women should be separate from a hospital and dealing with people who are not um you know working in that mindset in that main you know maybe there should be birth centers attached to hospitals or near hospitals um you know home birth should definitely be something that's available for all women um that's paid by the government definitely 100% in my heart 100% believe that um I don't think there's a place I think there's a place for hospital birth for women who are definitely needing um, have got heart issues or medical problems where they definitely need that any woman who's you know having a cesarean birth of course um but for every other woman there should be you know we shouldn't have to be going into places where people with covid are running around you know sick or flus or other diseases they're going into hospital to get treatments for you, you don't it's not a place for babies to be and and other young children and people coming to visit you you should be you know outside of that that's just my personal belief and I believe it strongly more now than ever and so I'm just trying to you know pick up the pieces of where I was so we said yes okay take our baby here we go again take our baby and I'll come in and feed her every three hours as per because we need to feed her every three hours to kind of flush that join us out as quickly as possible she was already more alert anyways that morning, um, and. I knew she was doing a lot better anyways, I could see and I could tell. So I was really surprised when those results came back that she was higher because she felt like she was doing a lot better. I was feeling a lot stronger. My milk would come in. I feel like the milk was really like a, um, a bargaining chip. As soon as they were alerted to me having milk, we were able to basically drop the formula feeds down significantly. And to the point where I don't know. It was a matter of twelve hours. So that night, I was having a conversation with a new paediatrician, and I said, I I knew I knew that my baby was doing a lot better because every time I went in to feed her, she was just more alert. She was waking for food. She was, you know, which she hadn't been doing the whole time. She was sleeping so much before. She was awake more. She was, you know, they were calling me more to come and feed her quicker than, um, you know, than the three hour. Um, periods. Um and I just felt like intuitively she needed to be with me. That the best thing for her was to be with me. My husband was also, um, I could see the stress on his face. This is the time where I could see the stress and I knew I needed to look at us as a holistic, as a family unit, not just as one person kind of thing. But I knew she was I knew I personally feel that the best thing for a baby in that situation is to be with their mum. And so I asked to speak to a pediatrician and I said, look, I want to find out why my baby was in here in the first place. I want you to explain the process. I want you to, I want to understand everything. Cause this, at this point in time, nothing's been explained to me. I know nothing. So even though I've explained it to you through this um, podcast, I didn't know anything at this point in time. And this is probably, I've probably only been in hospital for like two, three days at this point in time. And, um, I suppose something else that had happened during that time was I, I also was having a meltdown. I was freaking out about my milk and I was really concerned. And I, I called my daughter because part of her services is that there's two postnatal visits and um, she has breastfeeding counseling. So one of the things I really loved about her was that she had experience in breastfeeding. Not that I felt like I needed it. Cause I was, um, comfortable and confident breastfeeding my last for 12 months. But I knew around the newborn stages until the milk comes in, it's kind of a little bit tricky for me. Um, And so I called her up and I said, you know, this is what's happening in hospital. Um, I'd really appreciate this is on a Saturday. Um, I'd really appreciate you coming to help me attach the baby because she wasn't attaching properly and I was really starting to freak out and she my jeweler was kind of a bit hesitant about wanting to come. And she said to me, "Look, I can come, but I can't stay for long. I've got to spend time with my kids. And I was a bit like, okay, like, righto. Um, like I was, she knew that I was like a bit, I was in this horrible situation. I was really stressed and I really needed that extra support. And um, I didn't feel comfortable then saying, we'll come to the hospital um because I felt like I was taking time away from my kids or that I wasn't deserving or um it made me feel really bad actually um it made me feel like I was an inconvenience to be honest with you so I I had this ongoing feeling like an inconvenience um and so this is the last straw for me I was like here we go again I'm feeling like an inconvenience I've paid for a service and um I really need you. You're my doula. Um, but you're willing to come, but you know, I've been basically told that, you know, there's a time limit and because you've got better things to do kind of thing. And that's kind of, um, how I felt. So I thought, okay, we'll leave it at that. And then I called up one of my good friends, um, Janet from birthplace actually and she's a breastfeeding counselor and I called her and I had a completely different reception she was just lovely and she said to me and she's got an Irish accent so you just kind of have to think of this beautiful woman with a smiling face and talking an Irish accent and she was like oh she was just she said to me, I'm honoured, Ashley, that you asked. I'm so honoured that you've asked me to be part of this special time and come and support you in this time. And I cried joy, tears of joy and happiness at that point in time. And um, she said to me, just let me know when you want me to come anytime. And so I said to her, come tomorrow. She said, let me know if you need anything. And I said, okay, sure, I will. And I hung up the phone and I told my husband and he was happy that I was happy and I was getting the support that I need. And she came the next day and, um, you know, helped me and sat with me and talked to me and had a little gift for me. And um, it was just really nice to have that, that support. And I'm really lucky that I have a good number of other professionals around me, other mothers who I've connected with through my business who are doulas, who are breastfeeding counselors, who are lactation consultants, who are midwives. So I have a number of people I can call on and that's what got me through my pregnancy and um, my postpartum, um, that circle of support. So where I was let down by what I feel, you know, a service that I was paying for, where I I felt, I personally felt that I wasn't, I was an inconvenience. I was being picked up by my circle of support and so I'm very grateful and so thankful to my friends that were there for me during that time because I was really vulnerable and I was really, really not comfortable in hospital. I wasn't comfortable with the things that were happening and I really needed a sounding board to kind of talk to and hold me in that time. And um, she came the next day and, yep, we got we got it going and and I felt a lot more comfortable and I just wanted to include that part because that was a really important part of my story and so back to the conversation with the pediatrician um I suppose this is a couple days after Janet came and everything and the pediatrician it was at night time as you said to me um I hope this story isn't a bit too joint disjointed where I'm jumping around the place I hope you guys can comprehend the the parts that I need you to um the I spoke to the pediatrician she was a different pediatrician and I said I said to her look I want you to know that I'm feeling really uncomfortable here everyone's been really really polite to me and everyone's been pretty accepting and respectful and I'm really um but I'm feeling like I've been left out of the care and from my baby like I haven't been informed about what's going on with the baby and I'm also feeling like Maybe I'm being a bit judged on the sideline because, you know, I've made a choice that's completely different to everyone in this hospital. And, you know, people were coming up to me like some of the nurses and staff are coming up to me going, grabbing my arm and saying, oh, I heard about your story. And hi, you know, I heard about your story. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad everything worked out. Or, oh my God, that was so dangerous. And, you know, like people were coming up to me. You could see them when I was like a friggin' celebrity but not in a good way. Not like, Oh my God, it's Brad Pitt. Oh my God. He's so hot. It was like, Oh my God, that's that crazy bitch. And so that's how I felt. I don't know how they were feeling, but of course they're working in a hospital system. So majority of them are going to be thinking, Holy shit. I can't believe this crazy lady did this serves her right. Look what happened to her kind of thing. And that's how I kind of felt throughout this whole hospital experience so i said this to her i didn't say that but i said you know she's like oh i'm so sorry that you know she took offense to it she was like i'm so sorry that you felt that way you know now that i know that's the how you feel and i thought god you really mature on this you know front you know i can't even express how i feel without her without you know the maturity or the professionalism of you know not taking it personally because it wasn't personal. It's was just how I was feeling and and I was expecting that she was going to be able to, you know, have that conversation. But then I had to kind of build it up and say, look, it's not, I'm not feeling like you guys haven't given me great care and this sort of thing. I'm then having a stroke of ego a little bit, to be honest with you, um, to try to get her back on my side. But um, then you know i said to her look I, I do feel you know you guys have gone above and beyond like the hospital and she said oh i don't work in obstetrician obstetrics so i don't know what goes on over there i said yeah okay fair enough anyways i want you to know that um you know i don't feel like you know this process with the baby in here has been informed care i don't feel like we have been told anything it's things that just happen i don't even know why she's got this you know this cannula in her arm and you know it's really heartbreaking seeing your baby with a cannula in their arm and a little like board on their arm and then you know you're trying to hold them it's just it's really heartbreaking seeing all that sort of stuff and you don't know why these things are happening so she explained to me what had happened and you know that that I said to her did she really need to have the CPAP and she said to me it was a preventative um you know we just like to, you know, get on top of these things before something happens, because she could have been fine, she probably more than likely would have been fine, but we just want to make sure, you know, just in case, because then she would have had to come in, you just never know what's going to happen, and so um, I said, okay, and then, you know, she said, you know, the baby had jaundice, but, you know, it was under, so it was just a preventative, and I, I was like, okay, so I kind of, I knew that She told me everything was a preventative because that's how they work. And it was, it, it's the hospital system. So they're gonna, that's how they work. And so I, it's, it's been an evolution for me to kind of, you know, understand that. And it's been healing for me to understand that too. It's not personal what they do it's just what they do that's what they're good at and so it felt really personal for me having a v-back and they're saying no you can't have a v-back because of this because of this risk factor because of this it's not personal which i felt was the big issue i felt like it was personal it is personal because it's against you but it's they're not being personal most of the time it's just how they're trained and so it works really well sometimes and in other times it works really horribly in in pregnancy and and um, and birth of you know in in healthy women and when there's no nothing happening is it's not the the best to have that kind of approach but I I had a lot of healing from that kind of experience and stuff and while I don't necessarily 100% agree with how they how how it is and what it is I kind of felt healed in a way it's not personal in a way and so yeah that was a huge thing for me that I just completely see the hospital obstetrics and everything in a completely different light I was just like fair enough that was really healing for me for me anyways um and that's been one huge thing that I've been able to take away from that that you know maybe they're not as demonized as I would have thought from my last experience but there are some decent obstetricians out there because they were working with me and they were treating me really well Um, you know the obstetrician that I had seen who was looking after me said to me look I would never push a woman of your size to have uh, surgery to have you know a cesarean vaginal birth is the safest option for you and I was like where were you four years ago like oh my goodness but you know one of the things that we're dealing with is you know their jobs are on the line and and there's they're worried about their jobs and they don't want to get in trouble and, and they don't know you personally so they're not going to go out on a limb for you if they don't know you if you've just come in and you're going through public and and so you've got to you've got to consider all these things when you when you go into those systems you know who who are people looking out for what what are they being told what are the procedures what are the policies what is normal what isn't normal in this situation and so when the obstetrician uh, when the pediatrician told me these things I said to her look when can I get my baby out look I don't want to be crazy late and say like I'm going to take her now but I said you know let's work on something you know I feel like she's doing really well she seems really healthy to me I said I know you look at her um and that's your patient but I'm looking at as a family I've got to worry about my whole family here and you guys can't offer me a room maternity can't offer me a room if you know I get kicked out of here how you're telling me that I'm so sick they kept telling me I was so sick and I need to calm down and worry about my milk coming in i need to relax and i said and at the same time he's telling me that you know i'm not sick enough here to keep me in here but i have to rest and everything but now you want me to come back and feed my baby every three hours but you can't offer me a room i said it seems ludicrous to me that you're going to keep my baby and i'm going to be leaving the hospital tomorrow i was leaving the hospital actually the next day i said they're going to be kicking me out and my baby's going to be stuck in here i've been told for another three days and they said, she said, no, no, no. I said, look, it just doesn't seem, it seems like crazy to me. I said, and she's fine, like, you know, I don't know why she needs to be kept in. And she said, look, we're going to do some more bloods tomorrow and if the bloods come okay, then we can do this and we can do that and this is the next step. And so we talked through and I said, look, I said, what happens if I wanted to take my baby now? Hypothetically. And she said, well, we could and I wasn't saying in like a you know I'm going to do it or anything I was trying to just have a candid open conversation and she said I said what are my rights as a parent and she said to me um well you know if your baby needs to have a brain scan on you you know you didn't consent or something we could get the solicitor in and yeah we we normally would get a solicitor and I said okay but you know my baby's got mild jaundice um what are my rights with the baby with mild jaundice like we're not talking about a severely sick child here which you know she's referring to we're talking about my child over there that's 4.5 kilos well at the time is 4.1 she'd lost you know a few hundred grams we're talking about a huge baby and we're surrounded by all these little micro babies that are you know need to be here we're talking about this baby who's awake and alert and really you know responding to being with mum i said you know, she said, well, we have to wait for the blood results to come back and then we can do something. But then she kind of came around and she said, look, to be honest with you, like, it's true. We don't do informed consent and that's something we should be doing. And I said, yeah, it probably is something you should be looking at doing. And she said, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Cause you know, you know, I never thought about it like that really. And so I really felt like she had taken that on board and I, and I hope that she had communicated that back to her group And she said to me, look, you know, maybe we can work on getting her out within 24 hours or something like that. If this happens, if the blood come back, we can get her out within 24 hours. And, you know, if the bloods don't come back good, we'll talk about it then. And I said, okay, well, I'm optimistic the blood's going to come back good. Uh, We'll find out in the morning, I suppose. And so I felt much more confident that, you know, 24 hours I can handle. And I went back to my room and then the morning came and, and i went in there and there was the obstetrician uh an older lady and she was floating around you know with calm and ease the older obstetricians are so much more calm they've been doing oh not obstetrician pediatrician so much more calm they're not so worried about numbers and all these sort of things. and uh she goes oh that baby's healthy she looked at my baby she said that baby's healthy. She'll be going home soon. She can be discharged. I said, she said, I've already sent the bloods away for this baby. We're not going to wait any longer. She's fine. She said to me, and I was like, she said, we're just going to, we're getting the results back soon, but yeah, she's going to be fine. She said to me and I said, oh, thank goodness. I finally see some, you know, someone with some wisdom around here. Um, and that that's the difference between healthcare providers, you know, You've got younger ones who are still learning, who are jumpy and nervous because they've got their whole career ahead of them. You've got someone who's more experienced, who's been through all the changes. They've seen all the numbers and the regulations and, and you know, they're at the end of their career and they've got more confidence and that they understand these things a little bit better. And that's, that's why if you don't feel that you're getting the right, um, the right care with anyone, obstetrician, midwife, whoever always seek a second, third, fourth, always go higher, 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 until you get, you know, the answers that you feel intuitively are right. Because just because one person who's a pediatrician or obstetrician says it doesn't mean that it's definitely right. Doesn't mean that it's right for you and your baby. Doesn't mean that you can't see somebody that isn't going to be speaking a different kind of logic to you. Um and so I was like, okay, this is a totally different experience. And and then the bloods came back and she was fine. And I was like, yes, I knew she was fine. I mean, I didn't need I didn't need numbers to tell me, but they do need numbers to tick it off and say, yeah, we've done our job. You know, in case something happens, they have got to be able to, you know, meet, meet the bare minimums. And, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what the system is. They have to meet their minimums. Otherwise they're being negligent and someone has to be held accountable. You wouldn't want healthcare providers you know, going, oh, yeah, she could be all right. And then something happens. And then, you know, you're like, damn, I wish you did your job properly um, and check those things. So anyways, that's kind of how I see it. And I was so excited. My husband, you know, she'd, she was getting checked out and my husband came up and you could just see when he saw us there together and she'd been checked out. He was just so, he'd actually come to pick us up. He'd actually come to pick me up actually and before that had happened, the obstetrician said to me, when they were doing the checkout kind of thing, they said to me, you don't have to be checked out today. You can stay as long as you want. I understand your baby's in special care and you're welcome to stay here as long as you want. And that meant a lot to me. It hadn't been communicated till the last moment um, because I was seeing so many different people and you know they probably had always felt that way, but it never had been communicated to me. So when I had asked the maternity suite, I'd been told no. But I'd asked the midwife and the midwife probably asked her, uh, her supervising midwife, and they'd said no. But, you know, what needed to be done was they needed to speak to the obstetrician team because they were the ones calling the shots. And so these things don't get communicated correctly in hospitals um, and systems sometimes. And so I was fretting and stressing out having to stay with my baby and how I'm going to do all this and how I'm going to work this out and how I'm going to get there. And, you know, they said to me, you can stay. And I said, oh, that's great. Thank you so much. And it felt like the obstetrician team were going above and beyond to try to really do the right thing by me. And I really appreciate that. And that's what's also um, made me feel really healed. Like it felt really respectful. And I suppose because they were working with me, it was a completely different experience to last time. That's all I've ever wanted and needed. That's all anyone needs is that you can work together. when they did want me to do the tests and I questioned them I said look I've just got anemia they said to me um oh well you know you could die in the middle of the night and so you don't die in the middle of the night we better just do these tests and I just looked at them and I was like oh my god and then, like I just couldn't believe it. they were going to put me they made me go through this scanner with like this round scanner and I had to have this ink injected into my body or metal or something, and. It, it just—I never had anything wrong with me before, so I've never had to do any of those things. And they just wanted to be overly cautious. And so I'm calling my husband in the middle of the night, crying. I could have this, and I could die in the middle of the night. And so I look back now, and I just think everything's so urgent, and they're so worried about so many things that could happen. Um, and I'd had so many needles through the whole process to have—I uh, had a heart ultrasound. I went through to check clots. I had to have X-rays. Um, I had to have this like all these dot things all over my body and they had to I had all these tests and it was just so full on I've never had anything wrong and I said so all those tests came back clear and all my blood vessels and veins and everything had been popped by the time they were able to actually test me for the anemia which was on the last day and they said look if you've got anemia we'll give you an iron transfusion on the day that you leave And so they left it to the last day. And by that time I was traumatized from all the needles because they kept sticking them into the same holes and they kept sending obstetricians around who didn't know how to take blood. And then the pathologist couldn't get blood. And, oh, it was like all these people trying to get blood. And eventually I just said, just cut my finger and they took the blood from my finger and they got the results back. I was anemic. And I said, I told you. So I went through all this, um, testing for nothing but at least I know my heart's fine and all these other things they tested were fine um and I got to meet some other interesting people at the same time I suppose you got to look at the positives of these things um you know the positive of life and I mean you can't exactly say no when they've just and that's a thing that's that's what happens through pregnancy as well they make you feel like you there's a big risk and so if I'd sat there and said but what is the risk And they said to me, it's 1% chance of this. I probably would have said, I could have said, nah, I don't want to do the test. I could have said, no, I don't want to do the test. But I felt, I felt because they were being so nice and they were going above and beyond that I would, you know, just play the game. I would just, you know, it was no skin off my nose really. I mean, I lost some sleep, but, you know, I was intrigued to see if I was coming back healthy. So when I was in, I, finally got the results that i was anemic i had the blood transfusion set up and um that went on for five hours or whatever and then basically i got checked out of hospital my husband was so um relieved to see that baby was coming home because he didn't know baby was coming home um the first time he came he came before the transfusion i gave him the good news that the baby was coming home and he just i don't know his whole body kind of just relaxed and you could see him It was probably one of the best my Rem- memories of him just relaxing and you know you could see his whole demeanor and it's hard to explain but you could just see everything just kind of he was just overjoyed that she was with me that she was allowed to come out that we were both going to go together that we didn't have to worry about anything that I was coming home and I think that was really stressful for both him and me I think more stressful for him probably um for me I was really stressed not having her with me and I was also stressed and worried about him and the kids um I knew the kids were fine but I was more worried about him and it wasn't that he couldn't look after the kids it was he was worried about me and the baby I think he was more worried about the baby than anything um and you know maybe he I've asked him many times but maybe he was kind of going through his own questions like do we make the right choice I've asked him but um you know, he can't even remember what he ate for breakfast yesterday. So he kind of, I don't know, I don't think he really knows how to kind of work through some of the things that he's feeling either um, as he doesn't really explore these feelings and emotions like I do. But I was thinking I will have him on the podcast from a father's point of view. So if you've got any questions that you would like to ask, you know, hear from a father or if you think would be helpful for your partner, please do send me an email at hello at themotherhoodcircle.com.au and, you know, let me know because I will sit him down at some point and ask him a lot of questions about our birth and um, the reasons why we made the choices or how he felt as a father and how some of these things played out. But that's pretty much my experience, I think. I, you know, I had a wonderful Besides, I did suppress a lot of that through my postpartum, especially the first six weeks, I think, because I just wanted to focus on, I didn't want to focus on the negatives like I did with my second baby, I didn't want to feel traumatised, I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to feel ungrateful for the experience that I'd had, and I just wanted to kind of just deal with what I had at hand and kind of get through this and have a positive experience and kind of move on with things. And, you know, as I talked about it more with the podcast and I talked to my postpartum doula and I shared my story to people and I kind of got it out there, you know, some of the shame, I suppose, and some of the feelings and stuff were kind of coming out. And I kind of had to deal with some of these bigger emotions. And, you know, I'm reading the fourth. Um, trimester at the moment by Kimberly Johnson and so some of those things some of the questions and prompts in her book has also brought up some of the things for me as well and I started just burst out crying the other day and I you know called my postpartum doula and we talked through some of the stuff but I think there's probably going to be some you know journaling that needs to have has to be done when I've got some time and space because it's not really something that you can deal with when you've just had a baby you know your priorities are looking after your baby looking after yourself dealing with that moment it's only later on that sometimes we've got time and space to kind of deal with that and navigate that and think about that so i've kind of held off that but i have so many resources and so much support around me that and the trauma that i experienced was quite minimal compared to the last time i think um i've probably you know maybe because i've had the experience before um recently in the last four years that. know i'm better equipped to be able to handle it as well um and i understand it but if i was to talk about it i still have feelings that come up i still have things that need to be dealt with and i need to talk to somebody about so i definitely will do some healing birth sessions with somebody um just to talk more in depth about some of the feelings and things that i've been having um i want to do some journaling to you know even I've never really been able to sit down. I've never taken the time to really sit down and and sort through some of the feelings I've had or what exactly some of the things are that really upset me or, um, if I would make the choices again, or if I wouldn't, um, I think the experience was the experience that I needed to have. I feel like it was a really positive experience It doesn't mean that because it was positive that that some parts of it can't be um, traumatic or some parts can't be as I envisioned them, envisaged. Um, And I like to point out here that even though I had that experience, I had the most amazing postpartum and the breastfeeding is going amazing. We haven't touched formula since we left hospital. Um, Millie is growing. She's so healthy. And that's why I look at her and I'm like, you know, I intuitively feel like she didn't need any medical help because intuitively I never felt like she needed medical help from anything that was explained to me Um, but it is what it is and that's the path that we went down and I learned so much about that side of things that I can now pass this wisdom and knowledge on to other people so looking at it from a positive point of view um, it was the experience that I needed to have and I and it wasn't just healing from my last birth and how i feel about that hospital i now drive past the hospital i feel really positive about it i'm like that's a cool hospital i tell people like they can go there it's like a safer hospital to go to as in they're breastfeeding friendly and they're supportive um uh, from the obstetric point of view from who i dealt with i can say that about them the some of the midwives are amazing i actually you know running to one of them recently at the shops and she's such a cool lady she's going to be she's training she wants to be training to be a home birth midwife and you know it's just nice to have candid conversations with like-minded people and so you never know where a cool midwife's hiding and just because they're working in the public system doesn't mean that they're not um, they don't have the same alignment. Some of them I was talking to, and they only worked there a few times. They were really holistic and really natural based. And so, some of the guidelines about how much formula a baby should have been having, they were kind of like, yeah, but you know, we'll just half that, and then you just feed, you're feeding us. so it makes common sense. And so, those are my kind of people, like people who use common sense rather than you have to do this to the dot kind of thing and so some of them were like that and others you know were not so friendly or helpful and you know that's on them that's got nothing to do with me and and so I kind of see that a bit more now it's not about me it's about them it's you know for example one of the midwives actually went up to my husband she never met him before and she said to him yeah don't promise me you'll never do that again you can't ever do that again it was so dangerous my husband's like what are you talking about and then um he didn't say anything to her because he's not a confrontational kind of person but he was like oh he told me later and he's like she's such a rude bitch and you know i at one point she had said to me we're talking about my baby and i said something about yeah my babies sleep well or you know they just get happier and happier every, every time i have a baby they just get better and better she said yeah i know your story like this like in a really bad tone as in she knows my horrible secret story, you know, of my birth. And I was like, Yeah, isn't it a great story? Like, it just gets better and better and better. Like, this, I was like on cloud nine about my birth. I was, I had no shame. I have no shame. And there were some midwives, you know, who, you know, were amazed, like, You gave birth to this 4.5 kilo baby and no tearing. And I was like, Yeah, it's amazing. Like, they never hear that. But then you know another midwife has this smug remark and goes yeah you're just lucky you're just lucky and so that's on them they can't hold their hatred or their opinions or their judgments or whatever it is to themselves you know they're triggered and that's on them that's got nothing to do with me because I don't know their story they don't know my story and like I said to you know I was think I could have said something to the midwife but it's not my it's not my journey to educate her or heal her or make her see things differently and I'm not going to take the energy out of my life or my baby to do that either um whereas years ago and sometimes I still get caught up and I do it but but um I decided I was like nah I'm just gonna let you go like that's on you it's got nothing to do with me and the moment I could do that I felt like free so I left that birth feeling free and so I felt at peace with things and so some of this stuff's coming up for me and I don't feel so peaceful at the moment, but I will work through it. I've got a whole like year to work through this stuff. And I haven't even really sat with the fact, like I, because of all this other stuff, I haven't really sat with the fact. And I've shared my story in groups and so many women are like inspired and so happy to see, and I want to inspire people. I want to people to see that this can be done, like a vaginal birth can be done and I haven't been able to sit with the enormity of what I have achieved and what I have done because a year ago I would have looked at a woman who had just done what I've done and thought, Holy shit, she's amazing. She's a superwoman." And because I've done it because it's me, I haven't been able to sit there and go, wow, Ashley, that's amazing. So this year I want to really sit with that and really focus on, you know, what I've done, work out the positives of, everything I've achieved and you know really focus on that and then look at some of the things I I would do differently next time and, and move on. But I probably will work with a um a mindset coach. Um I've got an amazing mindset coach who I've worked with over the years and that's why I, like I do this myself for my clients um it's always like important to work through um these sorts of things with people because you can talk to yourself, but it's always better to have a sounding board and have somebody look at it from a different point of view. And I always think it's important to work with somebody else. Um, and that's what I certainly will be doing and that's what I always do. But, yeah, I love to do it in a professional capacity because when I talk to friends and things, sometimes it can get, you know, about them, they they want to bring in their stuff. And so when I talk with a professional, it's just about me and then that, and that I can really carve into that. Um, but, yes, I... I literally went into everything as as there's so many things that I could talk about, but I'm really proud of myself. I'm I'm really more than being proud. I'm just so happy that I listened to my intuition. I did what I felt was safe. I've gone over and over and over and over in this. And look, if I I think next time, what would I do? And I think I could go into a hospital system and still have that experience and still. Um, have a retained placenta and still have to go through all that and still have to be stuck in hospital. At least if I have the birth at home, I get to have the birth on my terms and the way that I feel safe without interventions and things that I don't deem unnecessary or important, you know, unless they're important. And then it's too late kind of thing. Um, So overall, I feel like I had the most wonderful birth. I feel it was just such an empowering experience i don't know it was just such an easy calm besides the last part it was just it was just everything that i just wish all women could experience and and you know if you're wanting to have a, a vbac or a vbac home birth i hope that you can work through and find people who will support you And I hope that you can support yourself and find the confidence within yourself to take that responsibility on and step into your power, regardless of whether you use a home, you know, have a home birth midwife. But learn to be your biggest advocate and and learn to make those choices and then learn to work through the repercussions of those choices later um, with the support of whoever you need to have. And that's one life school that I've learned that I am so thankful for and so blessed and so grateful and something I teach my clients and work with my clients through and remind my clients of. And, and um, if you would like some support to work through some of those things, then I'm here as well. I've got an online program called The Journey into Motherhood that I will be opening the doors to soon. So if you're interested, send me an email or hit me up on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I've only got a limited amount of spaces that I'll be opening, opening up. And that's so that I can only work with a select number of women and give them the support that they need during that time. Um, and there'll be more to come on the podcast about that But and all my um, social media pages. Um, if you've just had a VBAC home birth and would like to share your story, please email me so we can share your story on the podcast. And I hope that, you know, you join our group if you're looking to, to get that support. We've got an amazing supportive community of women before I can even get in there and answer a question or you know high five a woman um, there's already five comments in there from other women who are just so excited to connect with each other and it's just such a beautiful warming and enriching group and I'm just really blessed to be on this journey and I'm so happy to be on this journey with all of you wonderful women um, and dads because I had a review from a dad recently recently who you know sent me an email and he was just overjoyed and so thankful he binge watched listened to all the episodes and him and his wife had their v-back and it was just so wonderful to hear from a dad from the first time so if you're listening to this episode thank you so much for your review and i had another review recently on my facebook page from beautiful lady um you know i love hearing your review so please do leave me a review on facebook or on itunes um it just encourages me more to, to make these episodes and put everything into them. So thank you again for listening. I know this is another long one. Um, we'll get back to, you know, interviewing mums and experts, and I'll be doing my segments. And, um, if you want to hear something, let me know. I'm, I'm here for you. So have a great day and I will see you soon. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. I hope this episode has helped you take another step to finding your voice and confidence in your VBAC journey. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps us to help more women to find out more about VBAC home birth, just like you. Don't forget to take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories and tag me at the motherhood circle. See you next week.